The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, folks, and welcome to a brand new season, season two of Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. We're so thankful to you all for making season one of Typology such a raging success with over 2 million downloads. That's right, 2 million downloads in our first season. We really do appreciate you listening and sharing Typology with your friends. Before I get to our program, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Typology Podcast. And of course, you can follow Ian on Twitter at Ian Cron, and his Instagram account is at Ian Morgan Cron. We've got a great guest for you today, a favorite here at uh, Typology, Claire Diaz Ortiz. Claire is an author, speaker, and Silicon Valley innovator who was an early employee at Twitter, named one of the 100 most creative people in business by Fast Company. She holds an MBA and other degrees from Stanford and Oxford and has been featured widely in print and broadcast media. She writes a popular business blog at ClaireDiazOrtiz.com and is the award-winning author of eight books that have been published in more than a dozen countries. But more important than all of that, she is a good friend to Typology Podcast. We love her here at Typology. Now, let me give you a 45-second backstory on Claire's first interview. She was here, Season 1, Episode 22, and she discovered the Enneagram and typed herself in 2005 as an Enneagram 1. She came onto the show thinking she was a one, and throughout the conversation, Ian began to sense, hey, there's more to this story, suggested to Claire that she consider reading up on Enneagram 3s, and it turned out to be quite a revelation. Claire joins us again some six months later, and let me tell you, she shows up to this conversation in a brand new way after discovering that she is, in fact, a three, and I'd say she's doing what Peter Gabriel would call digging in the dirt, uncovering the treasure of her essence um, and using the Enneagram as a tool to do that. So you really can just drop in on multiple points in this conversation, part one of our two-part conversation with Claire, and it really is beautiful. Ian and I were both just elated after the uh, interview, and Ian actually, in fact, said this interview is representative of why I do what I do, why I'm doing this work with the Enneagram. I know you're going to love the show. I'm so thankful that you're here tuning in with us. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And now here's the host of our show, Ian Cron. Claire Diaz Ortiz, all the way from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Welcome to Typology. Hola. Ciao. Ciao. (laughs) You know, I've been to... Uh, just by way of editorial before we jump into the our conversation I have been to Buenos Aires about four times mm. yeah it's one of my favorite places in the world 
I love it here, and uh, you have not come to our home yet, so I guess you have to come back. Mm-mm. No, those times I I stayed in one of the nicest hotels. I stayed in the Alvear Palace. Was that, was that the name of it? That's where I got ready for my wedding. No way. Yeah, so we did all our wedding pictures there, and that's where I like put on my dress and stuff. Pretty cool place. Yeah, lovely. Pretty wonderful place. So months and months ago, uh, we had you on Typology, and. Honestly, we ended up having one of the most epic conversations in the history of typology with you. It was, it was like seismic. It was so mm-hmm. good. So can you like just tell folks what what happened on that on that episode? Well, I, I mean, it was epic for me. I don't know if it was epic for anyone else, but I, it kind of rocked my world. I basically had typed myself as a one maybe a dozen years ago. And then had kind of forgotten about the Enneagram and then had kind of come back to it a couple years ago, but really hadn't investigated any of the other types. And so I had just been pushing forward with this idea that I was a one and there were some things that didn't really match up, but I wasn't going to spend the time learning about the other types uh, to you know, <laughs> figure out why those things didn't match up. So then we got on this, you know, recording with you doing a podcast interview about me being a one and basically you ever so kindly suggested I needed to read up on some other types and you thought I might be a three but couldn't type me and so then after our call I mean I yeah it's kind of interesting I don't think I've had this much of sort of a like go down the rabbit hole about a thing in about five or six years really I mean after that call I ended up I mean, I, I guess I've read like five or six books now and just learning all about threeness. And it, I mean, it was like within 24 hours, it was very clear to me, yeah, I bet I'm a three. And then all the books I've read since and stuff have sort of confirmed that. But it was really interesting. I, I was thinking, I think the last time I did something like this was maybe five or six years ago when I was really changing the way I ate. Mm-hmm. And that was when I like last went into a rabbit hole of just like research and research and research. And, and not as if to say I'm an expert by any means. There's so many questions I have, but um, it's been really life changing. Wow. Okay. Well, so unpack that for me. How, how, when you say life-changing, what do you mean? Um, I mean, understanding threeness in the way I have started to understand it has brought together sort of so many of the issues that I have faced over the years, whether through therapy or through coaching, um, and just brought them together in a way that I couldn't have imagined could be done so i guess successfully or succinctly maybe not succinctly but um efficiently efficiently yeah (laughs) i mean i i just have so so much of kind of the darkness about being a three is really kind of my story for so many years Mm. that it was just so amazing to kind of see it written as like a theory as a model as a thing you know what i mean because i think Mm -hmm. it pulls you out of your head it makes you feel less sort of crazy and sick and more sort of like oh i am a human and some humans are like this Mm. you know i think it's partly because i mean for me we we we're not transparent to ourselves i mean our personality is always with us right so Mm -hmm. to you know we just get glimpses of ourselves we try to make connections we try to see patterns about who we are but because we're in the middle of it. It's a mystery, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you read a cogent description, saying clearly what you've always thought about, and, and but it's always been vague, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. it's pretty eye-opening, isn't it? It's amazing. And it, I think 
I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of questions for you because obviously I've I've done sort of the three thing where I've read so many books now. I'm surprised so you. Podcasts. I'm surprised you haven't written one. <laughs> but then, <laughs> that's like where the three really the three every three needs to read essentialism right that's mm, the other problem it's a good book um great book but right i mean you know the achiever in me sees so many the the hyper what is it the hypermanic is that it or that yeah the hypermanic yeah hypomanic the achiever in me when i get hypomanic see all those connect sees all those exciting connections between things and thinks Mm. of all these incredible new ideas i can take on and then i'm always just like okay this always needs to be balanced out by you know rereading essentialism again and again or rereading Mm. the one thing essentially um yeah i don't even know where to start i well here let me start with this story About a month ago, so we recorded maybe, I don't know, four or five months ago, something like that. I spent a few months reading, you know, um, the Beatrice Chestnut, the Enneagram 27 subtypes. I reread The Road Back to You. I read the spiritual dimensions of the Enneagram. I really liked the sacred Enneagram. Um, I started listening to the Susan Stabile, is that how you say her last name, her podcast. So I was all in it, right? And so I was starting to feel like I was getting a grasp on things. And I had this moment where my daughter is four. And in Argentina, there's this very competitive, very annoying private school system, and we're switching her schools this year. And so we had to go through what I found more stressful than anticipated, a a process of like letters of recommendation for the freaking four-year-old. I mean, it's so dumb, right? (laughs) And we had to, you know, as often happens in letters of recommendation, you know, hope I'm not spoiling this for anyone else. You know, we were writing them and then the other people were editing them, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I was tasked with one of these letters. And the letter was supposed to describe our family and why our family, why my daughter and why these, you know, twins are almost two would be a great fit for this school. And I wrote the first draft of this letter and I didn't really spend too much time on it, wasn't really thinking very hard about it, but there was clearly like stress behind it, right? And so I sent the letter to my husband and I was like, can you just edit this or make it better? And, you know, so that then we can send it off to the person who then has to, you know, sort of tweak it and then send it off as their own letter of recommendation for our family. And his response to me, he was like, we need to talk about this letter. He was like, you can't write a letter of recommendation for your children to go into school that is basically all about your accomplishments. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And it was such a moment where I just saw, okay, this is exactly where I go in stress. You know Mm. what I mean? It's just like the ego, the peacocking, the let me tell you how great I am. And it was so funny to realize that and realize how connected that was to my threeness and to see to see it play out in just this small thing that was it was so clear Mm. and have you had I mean you don't have to enumerate them but have you had other moments where suddenly you've had a uh, sort of a moment of clarity where you went oh there it is yes I mean that was certainly one of them but I think a lot of the professional stuff that I've been, you know, I left, I was at, at Twitter at this court, large corporate organization I left about three years ago. And I think a lot of the identity stuff that I've gone through in the last three years, I didn't even realize it was identity stuff. But then I think everything about understanding what it means to be a three has clarified to me that a lot of it really is identity stuff. It's, you know what I mean? And what it means when you take off the cloak kind of, mm. and who am I underneath? And yeah, d- does the Empress have any clothes? It feels like not, right? Mm-hmm. 
For twos, threes, and fours, everybody in that heart triad, issues around identity uh, are really key. Uh, all three are the most image conscious numbers on the Enneagram. And all yeah, three. Yeah, social three also. Mm, okay, well, we'll get down to that. Uh, so all three project an image uh, to have people under uh, see them in a particular way. So uh, maybe I would articulate it this way. All three don't believe that they can be loved for who they are, so right. they project an image mm-hmm. uh, of the person they think others want them to be or mm-hmm. in order to win love. I mean, you know, really all night, we're all searching in search of love, right? So twos will throw out an image that's, you know, this cheerful, bubbly, how can I help you uh, type. The three would... And sort of radiate this image of success and achievement, uh, and they're trying to win admiration. You know, twos want to win appreciation, whereas threes want admiration. And Mm -hmm. fours project an image of specialness and uniqueness uh, in order to compensate, you know, for what they perceive to be a missing piece, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. and to, to win the, uh, recognition and the, acceptance uh, into the into the group that they that they long for so this identity mm. thing you just mentioned super super important right because all three have to learn that uh they can be loved for who they are that these strategies don't work in fact they work against them and if they can let the image down which is very hard they'll start to discover the green shoots of their identity coming out of the ground i mean i had said for months I've been in an, I've been in like a women's business mastermind for about a year now, I guess. And I had said for months, you know, this one phrase over and over, I feel really out of touch with who I really am and what I really want. Mm. And so then learning about threeness was a huge smack in the face. It was like, oh, exactly. Right, right. Well, in a lot of ways, you know, threes are always looking in someone else's eyes. And in a different way than twos, they're asking that question of, you know, what do you want and mm-hmm. for, for the three, it'd be what do you? What do I need to become in order? Yeah, how can for, I shapeshift? Exactly. And have, that's are you the wish- thing I've seen more than anything. I've just like, I'm wow, I'm good at that. And especially going through a transition, I've had such an identity transition in the last three years. I had the career, and then I had three kids really quickly, and I moved to a new country, and so all this new identity stuff has happened. And so I think it's created so much shapeshifting that mm. it's you know I need I need to. Yeah, do the work to figure out where am I and all of that. Yeah, were you brilliant at that in uh, at in business? Yes, I mean, I think the thing though that made it, I think I was excellent at that in business. I, I will say though that I didn't being in a corporate environment for six years, and then before that I was in business school, and before that I had this nonprofit. I had very clear mandates, and mm-hmm. somehow I ended up with those. You know, I wanted to run this nonprofit in Africa. I wanted to go to business school. Then I wanted to be at Twitter, and so. I was in the confines of something that allowed it to be more directed. Mm. And so the last three years of finding where I want to go next, and then also the new identity of becoming a mom, having kids and doing that whole thing, um, I think it it feels harder because the constraints aren't there. Mm. So, you know, our personalities uh, are made up of defense mechanisms uh, of adaptive strategies they're the results of culture of family of temperament of disposition you know all of these things innate gifts all come into play do can you 
and I'm sure you've thought of this, can you sort of spot how how you became a three? Like how what shaped you into a three beyond temperament, disposition, culture? Like in your experience in family, school, whatever. Like what what made you into a three? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, my dad's a very clear one, um, which I guess I've heard can sometimes sort of happen mm-hmm. um, with the development of threes. So my dad's a one, my mom's a seven. Um, and all of the, and all of these are just like things I've learned in the last few months, basically mm-hmm. of you know trying to work with them. And I should say I think my dad's a one. Actually, I should say I think he's a one. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, I think she's a seven. She thinks she's a seven. She's done the work there. But mm-hmm. I, I feel strongly my dad's a one, but he doesn't. Okay. You know, he has not participated in the journey yet. Um, but I think that you know from a young age I was the um, my parents are very very loving, but we really didn't talk about feelings much. Mm. And that was just because of the way they were raised in a very sort of um, Midwestern, like, you know, the Norwegian, let's not talk about, let's not fight, <laughs> let's not, you know. I, the the yeah. classic line that my, you know, so I'm married to an Argentine. And so he's so funny because his whole family is very, you know, very Italian and very Spanish and all these sort of, you know, they fight and they yell. And he's always said, you know, one of the most ridiculous aspects of, of our relationship is that literally if he so much as raises his voice, I say, stop yelling at me, right? And he's like, no one's yelling at you. We're just like having a conversation. I'm not even, like we're having a conversation about some third party thing. And I happen to raise my voice a little and you say, you're yelling at me. And for years he said this. And then one day he, my parents were visiting and basically he saw it play out with my dad, the most mild mannered person in the world who, you know, has never raised his voice. And my mom says to my dad, stop yelling at me, you know? And it's just like, this was the dynamic in my house kind of growing up of not, um, Mm -hmm. You know, not really very feeling oriented and very sort of stoic. And I think that that combined with um, I, you know, saw early success in terms of, you know, getting love and appreciation for doing good stuff early on, um, you know, in in the area of school, really particularly. And so it just made it easy to just kind of keep doing that. So for folks who are listening, you know, we you initially thought you were a one, the perfectionist, discovered you were a three performer. And those two numbers frequently get misidentified. Mm -hmm. And I just want to sort of like, for folks who are listening, there are some similarities between perfectionists and and performers. Uh, They're both very goal-oriented. They have workaholic tendencies, big achievers, task-oriented, right? They tend to put feelings on the back burner to get stuff done. And they both share a real desire to make themselves into better better people. But what's different is that inner critic on the one, mm-hmm. uh, which motivates them. Performers are more success-oriented. Uh, they, also, they also will cut corners sometimes mm-hmm. to get stuff done if it's necessary. And that will really make a one crazy. That mm-hmm. would make a one crazy. Uh, they would see that as being wrong, that, you know, you need to do a job thoroughly and get the details right. And, you know, threes are a little bit like, no, let's just get it done as fast as possible, cross the finish line, move on to the next thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, they're also, uh, again, people who have hard to, have a hard time relaxing and, and stopping. They don't know how to stop, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Most threes I know, I went on vacation with a three once and they, they like they brought their briefcase with them. Oh, yeah. Y- y- you know what I mean? Like full of work and like they got up at five 
and worked mm-hmm. until we all got up like at 7.30, you know, mm-hmm. on vacation. There's four of us. And it was like, come out. And there he is, coffee in his hand, you know, like surrounded by papers on the phone. And then vacation day started at 8. And, you know, he kept checking his texts. And I mean, so there's the difference between ones and threes, you know. They're, they, they, they have a lot of lookalike, but they, they are very, very different, driven by different things. I mean, so I have had for years this obsession with productivity. One of the books I've written is about it. It's called Design Your Day. And then I ran this big online summit where I had 20,000 people go through it. It's all like this, you know, talking to productivity experts. And I'm just obsessed with it, right? And Mm. through the course of that research, became obsessed, you know, as a three does, with the research on rest, right? So like in my Mm. office right now, I'm looking at there's two shelves of books about like rest sabbath you know like what's the latest the latest two i just picked up daring to rest which is about yoga nidra meditation you know another one about um, a digital detox you know all this kind of another one called off the clock like all this kind of stuff i'm just obsessed with it right Mm -hmm. and so much of that is because it's always been such a challenge for me Mm. because and this is and i think it's interesting because my favorite hobby is reading and i always used to think that was really healthy but then i started to for a number of years, I would set these really high reading goals. And I, I read about 100 books a year now, but for a couple of years, I was up at 200. And I realized that it was an obvious example of, you know, okay, I'm not, I'm so not able to rest that I've now just created this goal around my favorite hobby, you know, that has made it into something that actually isn't very fun at all anymore, because you're, you know, in December, and you have to read 40 more books to hit your number, you know? Yeah, totally. Like, well, you guys, you guys love measurable things mm-hmm. you know what i mean like like i want you know you you yeah like if you were like a i mean uh i don't know a composer right you don't think of composers as threes but if you were a composer right and there are plenty of three composers you know you would you would be like this is how many songs i gotta write this year you know yep. you'd be very yep. go get but you'd love measurements and mm-hmm. and uh and trying to ex, uh you know exceed them you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to actually get 201 books this year or whatever yep. the yep. whatever the case may be. Tell me about, you know, productivity is one of those words that I, you know, I've done some reading about it because I'm a four and we, we cannot, uh, fours can, uh, are not known for their productivity. You, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like they can get lost in their feelings and it can slow them down and they, they have to settle stuff in their feeling world before they can move on to tasks, you know. Like, can you just talk to me about productivity? Like what, and you know, of course we both know Mike Hyatt, one of my closest friends a productivity kind of mm-hmm. guru sure what what on earth is productivity and what's the what's the attraction to it i think the attraction to it is i think that you know the the goal of productivity is to be the optimized human right mm. and it for some of us threes in particular probably a lot of ones um, sometimes some nines who are, you know, feeling particularly motivated <laughs> or whatever, right. I think have this ideal idea that if they can be productive in the various areas of their lives, they will be finally optimized. And mm. I mean, I, I wish I had, when I started the research on this productivity stuff about four years ago, I wish I had known I was a three then because so many of like the the threads that I've gone down when writing or when I, you know, created my summit and my course, this whole idea of working by design, which is this thing I've developed. So many of those ideas were really about taking back productivity and putting in um, purposeful productivity. So what it really means, right? And why, you know, waking up at 5am doesn't work for people and why you need to figure out if, 
if you're a mom with kids, what can actually work for your life and why productivity will only work if it works in your real life and why productivity gurus don't understand any of that, right? And I wish I had understood my threeness when I did this research because looking back, it just seems so, so, so tied into it, right? Because mm. what, I mean, the massive, massive myth about productivity in our culture, and you know, I have all these books of Michael Hyatt's and Rory Vaden's and, uh, you know, Tony Schwartz and all these guys, right? But the problem is this massive, massive myth is that so you become productive so that you can get more done. Exactly. That's the circle. Isn't and it? then, I mean, you know, and then what? And then you hit the wall and I don't know, then you're 80 and you die. I mean, I, really, what? What? Mm. And so what you're saying is, is that lots of, uh, what I hear you saying is that lots of productivity gurus say, you know, let's get more done so we have more margin, mm-hmm. right, to do other stuff. But yep. rea- in reality, what people do is become more productive so they can be more productive. So they can take on more. Yeah. And there is have no, they, a bigger impact, have a right. bigger, you know, whatever it is. And it's, it doesn't work. Right. And it just leads us to this incredible burnout. I, I had this, I don't, so it's really interesting because since, I've learned about this threeness. I've just seen so many threads of it in different readings I've done. And I'd like to read this. I don't know if you've okay. heard of this book. It's really interesting. So there's this book by this guy named David Hanscom. It's called Back in Control. And mm. it's called A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain. And I heard about it on a podcast about sort of emotions. And I was like, I've never had back problems. What is this? And I, I basically came to this idea that I think this book is branded not well. Mm. But it's just some amazing ideas about kind of emotion in it, right? And there was this theory in it that they talk about that struck me so strongly as a three that I just found it fascinating. And so I guess it's this idea um, that comes from something called compassion-focused therapy, CFT, mm-hmm. which is something popularized by a guy named Paul Gilbert. And basically the idea is that there are three core categories in life that allow us to function. So if you think of it like a circle on the outside, there's the doing and the achieving Mm-hmm. So you feel you're excited, you're driven, you're ambitious and successful. Then there's this middle part of the circle, which is threat and self-protection. You're angry and anxious because you're vulnerable. And then the very inside of the circle, which is what we're all trying to get towards, is this contentment and safety, right? Mm-hmm. And so he, I'll just read this paragraph because I think it's so interesting. Um, Many of us spend a lot of time trying to stay out of the middle ring of angry, anxious, and vulnerable by living in the outer ring of excited, driven, ambitious, and successful. You know, we could say productive. We could say being Mm -hmm. a three, being an achiever, being a performer. It takes a tremendous amount of effort to live here. The outer level is a critical part of the human experience, and we go there when we engage in new activities, create new projects, meet new friends. But living there exclusively is bad for our health. It involves a frenzy of activity and developing a facade to present to the world and ourselves that doesn't include having anxiety. Eventually, your activities, accomplishments, and possessions become your identity. Many people can live their entire lives shifting between the outer and the middle rings. So this doing and then this anxiety, right? And never getting Mm -hmm. into that center of peace. It becomes more difficult over time, though. Most of this group eventually wears out, spending more and more time in the middle ring of fear and anxiety. So you're not even doing any more. You're just stuck in fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. There are two ways to enter the center circle, and the center circle is this contentment and safety. The first is to expend your energy to the point of breakdown, descend through this ring of fire of anxiety to your lowest point, the abyss, and eventually end up in the center. You've heard the phrase that people won't change until they hit rock bottom. When you have nowhere else to go, 
and you're quiet enough to listen, deep change is possible. So I, it was just, and I was reading this book and I said, oh my gosh, you know, every three has to understand this because this is the thing, right? You're mm. achieving, you're anxious, you don't know who you are, you certainly don't feel safe and valued for who you really are, so you can't go into that central, center core space of, of being content. And that's, mm. I think, everything that's sort of wrong with the way we think about life hacking and optimization and productivity today because it's just about to achieve more to achieve more to achieve more to achieve more to to hit the wall and i don't know die and then they throw the dirt on you i guess <laughs> that's a ken blanchard line yes. he said something he i don't know the exact phrase but it's something about like i'm just gonna work till they throw the dirt on me or something i don't know <laughs> oh my gosh well that's that's no, he says that as a joke though ken's a great leader <laughs> right all right so i want to here's what i'm sensing this has really messed with your life Oh, it's been, I mean, I told like you, turmoil. I don't think I've been in this kind of a rabbit hole since I started sort of this new health journey of food stuff, maybe five or six years ago. But I mean, when I say messed up your life in a way, I mean, it, it sounds like it's thrown all of your assumptions about life, uh, who you are, um, what you're supposed to do, how, you know, how you're supposed to develop, uh, all these things. It's almost like it's messed with you. And I, and I can also see it on you a little bit because on the on my computer screen here, like I, it, it also looks like it hasn't been all that pleasant sometimes. I mean, you sound like it's really been an emotionally tumultuous time since you've discovered this. Well, yeah. I mean, I think my big question for you today is like, okay, so I've read all this and it feels super dark and I feel like I don't even understand what's positive about being a three. Mm. And I think I'm at that stage of like, wait, so why is this? like what is the growth path to six like mm. what I, right. I don't know right well i mean first of all every type if they're really in, i mean well here's the good news you're not stopping at the old what's my oh now i know my number and isn't this really interesting and now i can talk about it at parties and then you, but you don't do the you don't start to use it to do the deeper work Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, but it sounds like you're heading in that direction because what you're looking into is the shadow mm -hmm. and the shadow is not pleasant, you know. No. Uh, and as you know, on the on the hero's journey, everybody's hero's journey uh, in literature, it ha there has to be a moment when the main character has to look into and confront the shadow. Yeah. Mm. Now you're going to make me cry. Yep. And this, I can't even, I can't express how much. I mean, you said on that call, whenever that was five months ago, like, you need to look into being a three. I can't type you. And that night I went and I read, I don't know which book I started with. And I was just like reading and reading. I was like, oh my gosh. You know, it was just this incredible like window into, yeah, what I've been like flogging myself for my whole life, I guess. Hey, thanks for joining us in this part one of our two-part series with Claire Diaz-Ortiz. I know you're enjoying this as much as I am. I want to leave you with a reminder to help us kick off this season two with a bang and join us in our Patreon campaign. If you aren't familiar with it, Patreon is a way for you to support content you love, like Typology on a monthly basis for as little as a dollar a month. You can partner with us and help us cover the cost 
that it takes to pull off a show like this, all you have to do is go to www.patreon.com forward slash typology. That's T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y. www.patreon.com forward slash typology. And select the level at which you want to support the show. Even a dollar a month, folks. It's a huge, huge help. So again, thank you for joining us and we hope you have a fantastic week. See ya. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.